I want to start off today to uh, bring up a controversial topic. Oh, friends, it's been so controversial. The Almost the entire internet has been sharply divided over this concept. And um, I just invite our, our uh, brother to put it up on the screen. Can, can, we get, can we get somebody to turn off those lights up here? Um, now, guys, I, now it's it's not it's not my purpose to divide the church into two camps when I you know when I'm leaving here, but I just want to ask you a question. Yeah, let's get all that up there. Yeah, I want to ask you a question. When you look at that dress, what colors do you see? Black and blue, gold and white. Somebody says gold and white, black and blue. Oh, I love it. This is just juicy. Um, so some people see gold and white. Some people see black and blue. Please be honest. Let me get a show of hands. How many people see black and blue? Raise your hands. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay. Now, let me get a show of hands. How many people see gold and white? Come on, don't be shy. There we go. Okay, I see some of you gold and white. Okay, now how is this possible, you say? I mean, come on. You know, when you look at it, does it seem hard to distinguish? It seems pretty obvious. You know, people have been fighting about this. They've been putting hashtags like, you know, hashtag team black and blue, hashtag team gold and white, you know, and they've been arguing and everyone's like, well, obviously, obviously it's one color scheme. Now, I will be honest. When I first looked at this picture, I, I heard there was so much controversy, and I said, what's the controversy about? It doesn't really seem like it's hard to tell what colors it is. I mean, it's obviously gold and white. That's what I said when I first looked at it. I mean, it's, it was just so clear. It, to me, it was gold and white. And, 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 as I, and as I looked through, I, I happened to find some, some picture from the re retailer, the, the uh, uh, people who sell it and, and make it. And, and then there was a picture of a clearly black and blue dress. And I said, oh, my. Lord, is there some problem with me? What happened here? <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so uh, it just so happens I, I just wanted to see. And I... And I you know, showed the picture to Summer, and I said, what do you see? And she was like, uh, gold and white? And I was like, well, see? Okay, so it must be gold and white. And, and then we were sitting there looking at it, and, we, and then she said, well, when you squint your eyes, actually, it kind of looks blue and black. And I was like, what? And so I squinted my eyes, and sure enough, it looked blue and black to me. And then when I opened my eyes, it didn't look as clearly gold and white anymore. And I started, I, I got about that close to hyperventilating. I'll just tell you what, I was shocked. And the more I looked at it, the more it, it actually changed colors before my very eyes, friends. Now, don't think I'm crazy. I'm not on any substance, okay? I'm just telling you what happened. This is what occurred. And, and it happened the same to summer, and we came back to it, and it looked more blue and black. And friends, when I look at it right now, I tell you, it's maybe not dark. I don't know. It's still kind of weird, but I see more blue and black. Can you believe it? How does this happen? 
well, they, you know, since it was such a big phenomenon, the news is covering it, and they come up with all these explanations, and they say it has something to do with how your eyes and your brain work together to determine what colors you see. And this, the lighting for this picture just happens to be in such, in such a degree where it exploits a very subtle difference in the way people see and perceive colors. And so some of you, the majority, were in the black and blue camp, and some of you are in the white and gold. But, you know, those of us who saw white and gold first, it just means our brains are unique. And, and, we, and see, we, we, work, we work in a unique way, and it just, you know, takes us a time to, to, uh, to conform to the normal way of things, right? No, I'm just joking. Um, okay, but, but uh, go to the next picture, and you'll see it's pretty clearly um, uh, black and blue. <laughs> Um, in, in the shop window when, uh, it, it's just so strange, you know, um, how, how, it, how it could be so clear in some lighting. Look at the middle picture. I mean, I know it might be kind of dark, but the middle picture, that's what it is. That's what that dress is. How is that possible? I mean, I'm pretty sure that everybody, you know, if you, if it's not too dark, you can see it's black and blue in the middle, right? I mean, it's at least dark. It's not gold and white, right? You know, in the middle. Okay. How is this possible? Well, we can, we can bring the lights back up now. Thank you. Um, how is it possible? You know, well, I told you the science behind it, uh, that some people see and perceive colors in different ways, and the lighting just happens to exploit this difference. Well, sometimes not only colors of dresses, because, you know, we made such a big deal uh, the internet made such a big deal about the, what the color of this dress is. So much of a big deal that people were making memes about it. We saw one last night where this, this someone was holding, it was a picture of this gold and white puppy, and someone said, boy, I sure want that black and blue puppy, you know. <laughs> anyway, so people are, people, you know, sometimes uh, it's just hard to see something different than what you perceive right off the bat and when you look at this picture and you see gold and white or black and blue and the other person sees it differently you you just start to think they must be crazy because it's so obvious what you see is what it really is sometimes this happens with other things in life though guys and i would i would actually um, want to present to you today that this happens with very important spiritual things as well you see, uh, uh, the scripture reading came from the book of Isaiah, and we're going to spend a little time in Isaiah today, uh, but I want to spend time in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Chapter 6, this is a pretty well-known passage. You will recognize it when you see it. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6, right at the beginning, verse 1, well-known. Isaiah 6, 1, it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And now you look at me with furrowed brow and confused thought process and say, How in the world does 
uh, address have to do with the death of King Uzziah? Let me just uh, hazard a, a guess, or, or really, it's not really a guess to me. I believe it's what's really true, that, that God gave this vision to Isaiah, not just haphazardly. It wasn't just by chance that it came in the year King Uzziah died. This was intentional from the Lord. The Lord decided at this time, this is what Isaiah needed to see. Why is that? Do you do the math? King Uzziah was really the only king that Isaiah had known up until that time. He was born during the time of King Uzziah. Sure, King Uzziah's son had been co-reigning with him for the last 10 years, but Uzziah was the king. He was the one that was seen as king. It would be as if, uh, uh, well, especially for me, but for many of us here, uh, we, we don't remember another monarch of England other than Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I mean, it's just, when you think of England, you think Queen Elizabeth. Uh, obviously, she's going to be queen forever. She can't die. I mean, it's just, I don't know if anyone's told her that. But uh, but it just can't happen because it's just we we that's we make that association because it's what we've always known. We've always known that. Sure, if she becomes somehow incapacitated but not dead, then her son would maybe co-reign with her. But she, but everyone would still see her as the queen, the one who's really in charge. And and up until the time King Uzziah died for Isaiah's life, up until that point, the only leader, the only main leader of the, the country, the, the nation of Israel had been King Uzziah, and Isaiah had gotten used to this fact. And now the king who had been, a, who had been technically king for 52 years was now dead. And Isaiah becomes unsettled. Isaiah wonders, man, for 42 years he had been reigning the main king, 10 more years with his son. I grew up being uh, with him being the king. And Uzziah had generally been a good king, even though he had made some mistakes. And the reason why he, he had that 10 years where his son was co-reigning is because he had leprosy. He's the king who went in and decided to, he would burn incense to, uh, to the Lord, and he wasn't supposed to. Uh, but he was generally, most of his life, a very good king. And so now what would happen, the, the, that, uh, that King Uzziah had died, what would happen? What would his son do? Would he be a good king? Would he be an evil king? How would the world change? Because the nation of Israel, this was Isaiah's whole world. Some may worry some may not be worried some may not care some may rejoice at, uh, at the at the uh, departure uh, of, of my leadership from here I don't know what everyone feels but if someone feels concerned about a change of leadership which whether you are excited about the current leadership or not sometimes the unknown brings an unsettling feeling. You wonder, everyone I'm sure wonders, who's the next guy that's going to come? You know, is he going to be nice? Is he going to be a jerk? You know, I mean, just I'm just saying what your thoughts might be, you know. Excuse me, but I'm no, I know that that thought is there. Let's be candid. We wonder what is going to happen. And I think the vision given to Isaiah speaks to us today for the same reason that it spoke to King Uzziah. Now, I haven't been here for your whole lives. Sure, 
But transitions are difficult to feel settled in. In the midst of Isaiah's uncertainty, he receives this magnificent vision of God seated on the throne. In the temple, the, the heavenly courtroom, as king over all creation. It's not a coincidence. God is trying to tell Isaiah that, hey, listen, when earthly leadership changes, remember that the heavenly leadership never changes. When leaders die, leaders move. When something is unsettling in this life, you can be assured that God is still up there. And obviously His Spirit is with us even right here. But God is still on the throne. He is the one that will not sleep in slumber. He's not going to move to a different universe to become king of that one. This is what there is. And God is king over it. No one will ever be king in His place. But what's it like in this courtroom? See, uh, not only does this... Uh, is should this provide some comfort to us in the midst of changes and transitions and uncertainty? But what should we be like? Should we just kick back and, and be cool with it? Or what does God call us to do? What does He call us to be? In verses 2 through 4, it shows what the, what the uh, courtroom of God is like. 2 through 4, it says... Above it, above the throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. This does not seem like your normal uh, church service that we have here. <laughs> Imagine the place being shaken, you know. Uh, we'd be like, turn down that noise. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle it. Turn down that noise. Stop that. The place is shaking from your noise, and I can't see anything. The place is filled with smoke. It would be quite a, quite a disturbance to us here. But this is quite an amazing event. Now, why? Uh, what are the seraphim? The seraphim... Uh, they're angels, but they have that special name. And you know what that name means? The name means burning ones. It's, it's kind of a strange name. Why are they called the burning ones? It's because they share at least part of the glory, a diminished, uh, uh, I guess, mirroring of the glory of God. And their glory is so intense, it is like fire. They are these beings are that glorious. They're called the burning ones. That's what the that's what the uh, the prophets would say. I don't know. I don't know what to say. They're the they're the they're on fire. They're so glorious. They're the burning ones. And so these creatures are there in the courtroom. They're like somewhat similar to God's glory being a consuming fire. But it's amazing that these sinless creatures actually veil themselves from God's glory. Did you catch that? With two wings, they cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. And then I guess they got to use two of them to fly, right? So they, you know, they, they use two of them to fly. And, but, but they're veiled. And not only do these glorious creatures veil their faces, 
they act, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These, even these creatures stand in awe of God in his holiness. They are so amazed by his magnificence that all they can do is sing about it. It's like when you've heard really good news. Now, I'm talking about the good news, the something good that, that you, it's just so good that you just almost can't believe it, but you're so grateful that it happened. And, and what do you do? So, I, don't, I know when I receive good news like that, I just have to repeat it. I just have to talk about it. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Well, do you understand? No, I don't know how it happened, but it's awesome. Well, these guys are looking at the Lord of hosts, the monarch over all creation, the king who has been on the throne since before there was any creation. He was there. He was in charge. There's never been another king besides him. And they look at him and they just say, I don't understand how he can be this glorious. Holy, holy, holy is he. He's so glorious. Look, how is he so glorious? I don't know how he's so glorious. He just is. Look at him. And these guys are the burning ones, the most, the most uh, glorious, it seems, of the angels. And they're the ones saying, I can't comprehend his glory. So how much more should we have that, have that stance? If these guys are so glorious, why should not we fall on our knees even when we just have a contemplation of the holiness of God? You know, we, we, we may not be looking at God, so we're content to, to sit in our, in our, you know, padded pews and, you know, and uh, uh, dressed very nicely. But man, I, I guarantee you, if we could endure it and God appeared to us, we would not hesitate to fall on our faces in just awe and adoration. God is holy. Well, how does Isaiah react? He's up there. He can endure it so by some miracle of God. He can endure it. Does, he can endure it. Does he say, wow, God? That's awesome. When are you going to give the sermon? Like, you know, or like, you want me to do like offering or, you know, what do you want me to do? Uh, and he, you know, he is, is he treated like a normal worship service? What, you know, does he, does he say, wow, like, you know, I'm just going to sit back and watch this whole thing, right? And what does he do? In verse five, it's, it's, uh, I think he did, I think he did what we all should do. He falls down. I'm just just inferring this, but from what he says, I think he does. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah gets a glimpse of God, he recognizes his sinfulness. When he sees his, when he thinks about himself when compared with God, he sees imperfection. And now this was a guy that was close enough to God and following God enough to be chosen to be a prophet. So I don't want any of y'all to tell me there's nothing imperfect about you. 
because I know there's stuff imperfect about me. And if this prophet can say, woe is me, for I am undone, for my eyes have seen the king, and he's a prophet, and he has been given the honor of seeing this vision, man, guys, you know we still have a journey to go on. We're not done. We're not done. Isaiah wasn't done. He had some work to do. See, you know, I, I'll tell you, I'm not worried about the person who comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, I, uh, I'm trying to follow the Lord, but man, I, I just got some stuff that's, that's rough. You know, I, I, uh, I have a lot of stuff to work through, and maybe they have a rough past. Maybe they have some things, that, some sins that just keep coming back and tripping them up and everything, and, but they're just... They're, they're following the Lord. They're, they're, they're giving their heart to Him even though they have some hang-ups. I'm not worried about that person because they see what God needs to do in them. I'll tell you what I would be worried about. I would be worried at the person who seems in their actions, what they do, to it seems like they don't feel like they have any need. that They have no growth left to do that maybe they're always right. Maybe they feel really good about how they're doing, but they just happen to see faults in so many other people. I mean, that's what I'm worried about. Because when Isaiah sees a vision of God, he focuses first on himself. Woe is me, Lord. I, there's work that needs to be done here. He doesn't say, well, hallelujah, Lord. You know I'm the perfect guy. That's why you called me to be a prophet, right? Because I, I'm always right and I don't have any problems. Uh, that, that's why you called me to be a prophet. No, he didn't call him to be a prophet because he was always right and always had everything nailed down, all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. Uh, he called him because he had a heart that wanted to follow him. It doesn't worry me, friends, if you know that there's still work to be done in your lives. It doesn't worry me if maybe sometimes ah you trip up and, and then there's some discouragement. That doesn't worry me as long as you say, I'm still running after God. But when you get to the place where it just seems to be like you're always right and everyone else is wrong and, and where there's no more journey left to take, that's a danger. That's a danger. Of course, your spouse will kind of help you out with, with that one. Yeah. That's why, you know, it's a really good thing, you know. Having a spouse and having kids really helps you. Helps you see you need some growth. Have mercy. I tell you, you know, God is good. Um, God is good for giving us uh, merciful uh, mercy in, in ways for us to see that he needs to do work in us still. So Isaiah was willing to see the imperfection of his own soul. And does God say, You're right, Isaiah. You are condemned. <laughs> what, is he, what does he say? You know, Get out of here. Poof! And flames. You cannot endure my glory because you're a sinful man. What does he do? He, he commissions one of the seraphim, these burning ones. Now, I would have been scared for one of these guys to get close to me, probably. It says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which had been taken with tongs from the altar. I just want to pause. Just want to pause. All right, hold on. 
So the burning one, the glorious being, goes over to the altar and he's like, whew, that's hot. Gets some tongs and gets a coal from God's altar. And then, okay, and then he gets it in. I mean, I just want to say, why did he have to get it with tongs? I mean, maybe that's just a formality, but my goodness, that must have been some some hot coals. So the seraphim goes over and gets gets a coal, and he comes over. And if I were Isaiah, what are you doing? You know, I mean, when's the last time somebody's seared your lips with a hot coal? <laughs> Hopefully never. Don't let them do that, by the way. Just it probably wouldn't feel good. Um, but this seraphim comes over, and this is a special colon, and and uh, and it says in verse seven, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Yes, I can feel it. It burns. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged." You see, not only is God on the throne of the universe in the midst of whatever change may come in this life. Not only are the heavenly beings in awe of Him, not only do we uh, see our own need and sinfulness when we get a vision of God, but God is willing and excited to purge that sin from you. You know, there's a verse that I've read many times in my Christian experience, and it's from... First John, that first chapter, I believe, verse 9, and it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and not only that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is that scripture enacted. The seraphim comes over and purges his iniquity. God is willing to purge my iniquity and to purge yours. Now, just because you're sitting in church and you're a member of the church doesn't mean that there's no iniquity left to be purged now. Come on, folks. We have growth that needs to happen. You know, uh, the spirit of prophecy tells us that even after we are perfected and taken to heaven, we will ever continue to grow. It may not be growing out of sin, but we will continue to develop and become more intelligent and stronger and and have more of an understanding of who God is. There is ever going to be development. And if there's stagnation, friends, you know, there's never just stagnation. When we stagnate, we're slipping backwards. But God says, when you see your need, I will fill it. And so, Isaiah's sin is purged. Is that it? Does God say, well, good. Go back home. You know, the vision is over. We're all done here. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? We can get into all the ins and outs of why it says us. We won't do that today. You have to study that one yourself. Who will go for us? Verse 8 in saying, Isaiah finally finds his courage to say something other than, Woe is me, for I am undone. And what does he say? Ooh, 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 ooh! Here am I! 
Here, here, I'm right here. Send me. And God, of course, you know, like, uh, you, you know, if any of you worked with kids, you, you know, who wants to, ooh, I haven't even told you what it is yet. You don't even know. I could ask you to carry these heavy rocks over to this other place, and you don't even know what it is. It may not be a prize. But he says, who will go for us? He tells him. And Isaiah, you know, oh, you know, can I raise my hand any higher? Here am I. Send me. The rest of the chapter is part of, it's Isaiah's, the first part of Isaiah's mission. And Isaiah had a tough one. Isaiah had to tell the people of Israel how they were moving away from God. But friends, when you look at the second half of Isaiah, you see God doesn't only afflict and judge, he binds up and heals. And what we found with Isaiah 41.10 when Uzo read that text is he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is willing to uphold his people. And so, friends, I just have to ask. I know that this is an uncertain time. <clears throat> I know it's an uncertain time, and it's not a welcome one for many. Um, no matter how you currently feel, it's just you wonder what's going to happen. Will things be worse? Will they be better? Will they be the same? I don't know. Will those conference guys get it together and get what we need here, you know? I know it's uncertain. But will you remember that even in the midst of uncertainty that God has not stepped off the throne? Because the only thing that I am is just a small little underling of the Lord that He has placed in a particular place. But that doesn't change your direct connection with God. That doesn't change the fact that He is the pastor of this church. And even when the next earthly pastor comes, He's still not truly the pastor of the church. It's the Lord who's the pastor. He's the shepherd. And this earthly guy is supposed to just do what God wants him to do. And so I entreat you to pray for well, I, I just love you to keep praying for me too. Uh, but pray for the next pastor to come as well. Pray for him that God will fill him with his spirit. Pray that he will give him strength to do his will. Because Isaiah didn't have an easy job. And neither does anyone in any type of ministry. Because we're up against a mighty foe. Pray for this pastor. And I also ask that even in, in this time of transition, that, that you would remember to have the right response to the Lord's glory. Friends, when you get a vision of the Lord, when I have those moments where I feel like I see Him the clearest, I'm just awestruck. And it helps me remember how small I am in comparison and how much I need to grow. Friends, we'll do really well here in this family if we all are very conscious of how God has to help us grow. We'll have mercy 
with others. And we will want to help one another on the journey. Confess and receive his cleansing. And I also have another thought. Friends, you know, it's not just the pastor whom God places in a place to do ministry. You see, he has a whole family of people that he wants to be his ministers. And we were just announced, it was announced to us, that nominating committee ha- is, is beginning. And so many people are like, man, nominating committee is going to happen. This is a good time to go on a vacation. Or this is a good time to not answer the phone or to hide, you know. <laughs> Who is this? It's so-and-so. Are they on nominating committee? <laughs> you know. Don't answer it, you know. Uh, oh, come on, you guys, you're so serious, you know. Just loosen up a little bit. <laughs> no, um, but, but sometimes we do shrink back from certain responsibilities. We are concerned, oh, man, but do I really want to do this or that? Friends, I ask you, has God given you a passion to do ministry? Maybe it's not to fulfill an already pre-made um, uh, place, um, but but friends, I just I want to ask, what has God put on your heart? Have you seen a vision of God? Has He? Have you heard His voice saying, "Excuse me, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Are you willing to say, "Ooh, send me," or at least if you're willing to say, you know, <laughs> you can send me. If you really have to, you know, at least some willingness to follow what the Lord wants. Because I tell you what, there will be nothing you can do for the new pastor. I tell you, there will be nothing you can do better than be willing to do what God has placed on your heart as ministry. To be willing to be a minister after his guidance and to have that character of awe for God. To have that realization that you are small, He is big. And to remember that you need to grow. Because when we all realize we need to grow, the little problems that we sometimes have with one another will pass away. Because even if someone else is not being nice, we are willing to be grace-filled. We are willing to not fight and quarrel. We are willing to have the character of Christ. And so I ask you to remember, if you want to just, you know, sum it up, it's uh, and and uh, and just try to remember what God is willing to do for you, and what and what He's hoping you will respond to, is that God is always here to grow and guide you. If you just want something to remember, to hang what you've heard on. God is here to always grow and guide you. He's here to continue your growth. He's here to guide you into what you should do. He is here. You are not alone. You can always depend on Him. I think it's interesting I think it's interesting that what Isaiah mentions 
is that he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells among a people of unclean lips. You know, James has something to say about that too. Our lips get us in trouble, don't they? I would say in church, if there is anything that gets us in, well, really, there's nothing that gets us in trouble more than our lips. Friends, I just, I marvel at how spot on that is. I pray that we will not be a people of unclean lips, that we will be a people of grace-filled lips, that words will not cut, but, but support, build up, and heal. Sometimes it's hard, but it's possible. If God is here, if God is here to grow and to guide you. And I just want to invite our, our brother Rob to post one last picture up on the screen. One last picture. And I, I don't know if you can see that. Um, is that. Can you see it up there? Turn the lights off. Okay, I think somebody's doing that. So, what's on your mind, Mr. Sparrow? Well, I have this constant feeling someone has his eye on me. <laughs> this is a little bit disturbing to him, I guess. <laughs> I just have this feel, constant feeling someone has his eye on me. You know, uh, there's a song, and I'll tell you what. I tried, I tried to find that number in the hymnal. I just could not find his eyes on the sparrow. God bless you. I'm not crazy. I thought I, I was about that close to thinking I was crazy. His eye is on the sparrow. He, I know he watches me. You know, um, we, we, have a, we have a lot of examples where God's eye is on even the smallest of creatures. And I hope you know that if his eye is on the sparrow, if he knows when it falls or when it needs food, that he is here and he has his eye on you. You will not falter and fail as long as your hope is in the Lord. So I want to, I want to send you off with this, this assurance that God is here to grow and to guide you, this church. And we love you, Summer, Summer Mikhail and I, we love you. Uh, we, we look forward to when we will be able to see you again.